I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. G'day ladies and gentlemen, my name's Isaac Butterfield and this is a brand new series called Madness. On this podcast, we are looking at talking to some of the people who are involved in some of the maddest, the strangest, the most difficult conversations that are being had right now. And today's episode is no different. We talk to Peter Bogorzian. He is a former professor, I guess he still is a professor. He is a former professor from Portland State University who came under a enormous amounts of fire because of his beliefs, because of his ability to think critically. And I guess that's what this podcast series is all about. Why are we facing so many challenges when it comes to talking to people about what we believe or things we want to say? That's what this is about. And this is my chat with Peter Bogorzian. Hey, Isaac. Hey, mate. How are you? Bro, can you hear me all right? I can perfectly. What's happening? Uh, you know, I'm just living my dream, baby. I'm just living my dream. I was watching some of your videos. Super funny. Thank you, brother. Well, I was going to say, where in Australia are you? So I'm in uh, Newcastle, which is about two hours north of Sydney. Yeah, I, I, I went there. Uh, uh, Russell Blackford edited my last book. He lives there. I, 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 love, I love Australia. I was just, my buddy Reed and I just did videos there with the um, um, common ground people, where we went outside ah. of. Yeah, we went. So we went outside. We did street epistemology, where I put the exercise, where I put everything on the lines. Yeah, so we were there. I love it. I, I've always had a, a, a genuine fondness. I don't know. First of all, the coffee is unbelievable, and the city. It's yeah, just yeah. so. I, I was struck because right from Australia, we flew to London. I lived in Australia for a month and in London for a month. And I was just so struck by, and my son visited me in London, uh, two, two things. One, how nice everybody treated the commons. Like everybody treated the commons well. I was in um, New York City. Uh, I was on, on Gutfeld and I, was, I hadn't been in New York City in a long time. And so, you know, the, sometimes the phones don't work. And I was looking at the, um, the, the train lines one, and, it was crazy. I was just like watching people jump over the turnstiles, like just, and I was just mm -hmm. so struck by, by that everywhere I went. So I thought it was, well, maybe I'm, he put me up in a hotel here. So maybe they're just doing, no, they were doing it everywhere. And then when I went to um, England, I told my, my buddy, Andrew Doyle, I don't know if you know who he is. I'm like, dude, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I can't believe this, you know, I've been in uh, London for weeks now. I've never seen a single person jump the turnstile, like literally not one person in, in two weeks. And I, you know, wasn't, I was riding it six, seven, eight, maybe eight times a day, taking it everywhere. And he said, I've been here for decades. I've never seen anybody jump the turnstile. So there's something about the way that the commons is treated in America that's very demeaning and degrading. And I don't know if it's a kind of hyper individuality or, or what it is, but it's, pronounced and conspicuous 
Do you think it's a population thing? Like in a, in Melbourne, for example, there's, I don't know how many people are in Melbourne, let's say six, seven million, or no, not, not in Melbourne, but around that area, there's probably a bit, what, two, three million, maybe something like that. Um, there's not that many people. And then you get to New York and it's just, it's unbelievable how many people are there. It's, it's, it's confronting in, in such a small area, like the population density is so, uh, so massive that people just don't care. They will react however they want to people. They will flaunt the rules. They will do this. They will do that because human life matters less when there's more people around, perhaps. Yeah, it could be the anonymity of it, and it could be that human life matters less. But it's there has to be a cultural component as well because in China, you know, the, like when I was in Shanghai or Beijing, I mean, that place is just, I mean, holy, mm-hmm. I don't know if I can swear or not, but holy shoot. Mm-hmm. God, I can swear. Yeah, holy shit. So that place is like, the density is crazy. And yet, I don't know if they have a respect for the commons or a fear of some kind of the consequences of authoritarianism. Like, I don't know what it is, but there have to be cultural and maybe even technological factors at play as well. But there is something about um, that's just so obvious to me that ours is an empire in decline. We... We don't, like in Australia, we don't really fuck with police in the same way that I, I feel a lot of Americans do. And I, I, I'll, I'll put it like this. When I was growing up, I was terrified of doing the wrong thing around my parents. Now, I have, I have four younger brothers. As they progressively got, uh, I, I got older and moved out, they were the ones who were, were running around the house. The type of discipline changed and they were no longer scared of my parents. I feel like America is Australia's big brother in that respect where they, Australia is America's, this, I'm getting lost in this, but trust me, it'll make sense. Australia is still terrified of big brother, of, of the people, the powers that be. And it seems like Americans just aren't. I mean, there's places throughout the States where uh, you can, if you don't, if you only steal, I think it's like $900 worth, you're not going to go to jail. Uh, you can basically get away with whatever. Whereas in Australia, you will go to jail, you will be um, prosecuted uh, and all those things will still happen and we are still scared. I don't know if it's, uh, Australia's always a few years behind, uh, behind America, so hopefully it doesn't follow suit, but perhaps it's something to do with that. And culturally, it, it is this fuck the police attitude that has gotten to the point where they just don't care. They're not worried. They're not scared. They're, they don't ha- the police don't have any power, so they'll just flaunt. They'll do whatever. It's just, that, that's so crazy to me on so many levels. In, I just moved out of Portland. Portland is just a sewer the crime the violence it's just a cesspool of violence and crime although i will say it's gotten significantly better um, through in in spite of local governance not because of it but one of the things that's been fascinating is that the with the decline of the police presence the murder rate has gone up and the murder rate isn't going up against people like me like white middle-aged dudes Mm -hmm. it's uh african americans um, a term in other words black people young black males in particular I was at a, a a restaurant a while ago. I was outside and some completely deranged homeless guy was smashing the windows of cars. And then he came up to the table. We were outside. Uh, he came up to the table next to me and there were three women at the table. And clearly these were social justice warriors. They had the hair, they had the looks, they had the, you know, the little pins on the, and they were looking terrified. 
And so this guy was just, you know, taking food off. I mean, he was completely out of his mind. <clears throat> and so after that was over, I'm going to say this and you're going to think, oh my God, what a complete asshole this guy is. But I think that there have to be consequences of beliefs. And I think sometimes people need a line drawn for them from the belief to the consequence of the belief. And so I walked over to them when it was over and I said, are you okay? And they said, yes. And I said, you know, there are consequences to defunding the authorities. There are consequences to this. And they looked at me like I was evil. It just, just another very, very quick story. I was outside. I, I had to go into a grocery store. <clears throat> this was months ago. I'm out of the U.S. most of the year, uh, but I had my dog in in the car, and you know, I, I had a sweater on. So I go in, and you know, people in Portland they're just easily identifiable if they're kind of woke crazies. So I went in, and I was in the store literally no longer than than I, I don't even think I was in five minutes. Come back out, and this crazed woman was yelling at me for keeping the dog in the car. She's like, I'm going to call the police. I'm going to call the police. I'm like, okay, the police have all been defunded. Go ahead and call the police. Did you want, do you want the police defunded? Do, do you, so, so there's, there's a failure to grasp that ideas have consequences. Hmm. And there's something on, there's something so disturbing about that when it's in a democracy right? Because it's, we have nobody to blame for the situation, but ourselves. Like, I mean, we could go down many rabbit holes, but you know, we're just, the United States is just printing money. We're just printing money. With, you know, yeah, yeah. We are, we are doing the same. We are doing the same here. And it's gotten to the point where there's now a major bank in Australia who is now no longer dealing with cash. They're just like, no, nah, no more cash. And, you know, you start to think, okay, why are you dealing with no more cash? Is it because you don't have any? Is it just, it's all gone and you're just playing with pretend money? It's all, it, it's funny, like the, the defund the police side of things, because you look at it from my perspective, I live in a very, relatively lovely neighborhood. Uh, there's, there's, there's a bit of crime because, you know, people go to certain neighborhoods and they break into houses. And here in Australia right now, it's very much, um, and maybe this is what I was talking about before. Young people don't seem to be scared. Uh, 14, 15 year olds, they don't seem to be scared about getting arrested. They know that the police can't do anything. So they'll break into houses. They're not taking anything but the car keys to go and drive the car away and burn it out. They don't really care about anything else. They're not going in there to hurt people. They're just trying to steal cars. And th the whole idea of defunding police is so foreign to most Australians, I think, and except unless you're the very, um, you know, left-leaning Australians who are probably right for it. Um, but where does that idea come from? Because it can't be, it's not like everyone came up with that idea immediately. It has to be, uh, it's it's like what Gard Saad talks about, these idea pathogens, those, those yeah, type of correct. things. Okay, so I'll, if you'll give me like three minutes, I'll, ex I'll explain the genesis Please. of the idea. So the idea, and this percolates out of the academies, the idea is that, well, there are many ideas, but one is that any disparity in outcome among racial groups is due to systems. And so we have a, a problem. So, so we, the, the goal then should be to dismantle systems. And we've, we can see that in language. So for example, minoritize from minority to minoritize. M the system makes a minority. Everything is the system. The system makes a minority. From I have a, a series on this I did, Woke in Plain English. From um, 
bums, which I don't know if you had that word over there, but when I was a kid, you yeah, used to call yeah. homeless people bums from bums, which is an evaluation of a person and in tr- inherent in that is that they're lazy. It's called a thick description to homeless, which is a description without an evaluation to houseless and houseless is the idea that the system is responsible for these people not having houses. So where did the idea of defund the police come from? So on, on the left, which has captured virtually every institution in the United States, particularly they dominate academic institutions. Uh, the idea is that capitalism is bad, systems are at fault, systems ca- are inherently racist, patriarchal, misogynistic, and discriminatory. And it's the police that keeps the capitalist system in place. So if we can destabilize the police, we have an opportunity to bring down the capitalist system and thus bring fairness and equity, not equality, equity. So among the main targets, other police. So that that's the basic idea. I can flesh it out from there, but that's the basic idea. Mm. We we have a um, a vote coming up in Australia to change our constitution. Uh, it's called the Voice. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. But basically, the whole idea is uh, to give uh, Indigenous Australians uh, not only representation, uh, but uh, to list them in in the Constitution, which I think is a fantastic idea. They should be in the Constitution. They should be recognised as the first people. Beautiful. But a lot of people have the issue with having a, uh, a group being not elected, but chosen to represent all of these people. And that sort of ruined that part of uh the the referendum uh that that's coming up for a lot of people including indigenous people they're like well why why are we having a group of people chosen to represent us couldn't you have a vote couldn't you have um there's several different options that would make a lot more sense but i think it has a lot to do with attacking that um attacking that attacking the the structure that has been set up over 200 or so years okay we've got this constitution here well let's go in there and change this important part and i believe it's important to have them represented but they're changing it in a way that no one really agrees with but there are a huge group of people that go well because it is a topic of race we need to agree with it it's the same with the it's the same with defunding the police. Even though if you think about it logically, it's a terrible decision to try and defund a, a group that is protecting people. We need to change it. We need to defund them because this structure of oppression is based around us or uh, based around them, or at least that's how we feel. And it's the same with the government here in Australia. We, uh, Aboriginal people, uh, a lot of uh, left-leaning people feel like they are still very oppressive Um and we need to change it. And people are scared to voice their opinions about this voice vote. And my worry is, even though it seems like a good idea from the outset, people just won't talk about it. They'll just do it because they feel like if they dare disagree, then they'll be in a lot of trouble. Uh, people will think about them differently. And it seems to be a slippery slope because then what comes after that? Um yeah, it seems like that's sort of how we're facing that particular decision here in Australia. Although it is a beautiful thing to do, recognise Indigenous people, it's what comes with that. Like, my thought on The Voice, and I haven't really spoken about it publicly, was we have a lot of... I don't know if you've ever seen the map of, of Indigenous populations throughout Australia. Uh, 
it's 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 enormous there are so many different languages and cultures built into that to that culture why wouldn't you have a representative from every one of those places come together and perhaps choose someone to represent your people i know it's strange to change and um it's strange to have a group it's it's strange to have people um Divided by race is what I'm saying. But if that's what you really, really want, then isn't that a fairer way to do it? Okay, so I'm going to push back on on that, but well, I'm going sure. to push back in the sense that I'm completely aware that I'm an American and I'm not, this isn't like I'm trying to like have some kind of weird neo-colonial hegemony over Australia or anything. I'm just... It's not clear to me why, you know, you said a couple of times it's a beautiful thing or a good thing. It's not clear to me why acknowledging the quote unquote first peoples or whatever the term is that's in Australia, it's not clear to me why that's a good thing. Okay. Okay. I think here's, it's a nice thing to do, I feel, because uh, for Indigenous people here in Australia, they were treated uh, basically as fauna. That's how they were listed. Uh, and to have them listed as, um, and I cop a lot of shit. I, I've I've uh, made jokes about Aboriginal people on stage, and right now I'm before the Human Rights Commission here in Australia because of the joke that I made, even though it was a very just it was a normal joke. One lady complained. I now have to travel to Brisbane and get uh, legal representation because of humour on stage, which is outrageous. But I still, the, my genuine thoughts on Aboriginal people is they should be represented. They should be, and they are represented in Parliament. They have there is several people in Parliament in Australia who uh, have been chosen by the people, and I guess that's people's argument. There are people representing um, Indigenous people. So why do we need this whole other group that isn't uh, elected? It is chosen by who is it chosen? Contradict um, or supersede the democratic structures that you have in place. Well, yeah, it does. Absolutely, it does. Now, so why would it be a good thing? Why would being nice override that? So my thought is it's nice to say that they are the first people. It should be in the Constitution, and that's where it ends. Yeah, no, but, okay, so I'm going to push back again. <laughs> please, no, please. I, I'm interested because people aren't having these. They, they, they aren't having these debates, and there is. You are either on the side of yes or you're on the side of no. There is no in between, and that's what this is important. This is what this podcast series is about: is fleshing out ideas. Yeah, and I, I think that this is this podcast series is extremely important because we're not doing that in the university system. So. I can't speak. I was there for a month and I met with deans and I met with many, many people, think tanks. And you're about, this is just parenthetical before I get to the point, you're about a year behind, maybe a little more. Uh, and in terms of a woke takeover, uh, the complete takeover of the institutions, but getting, getting back to this idea that it, it's my fear is that once you do that, it's a slippery slope and there will be certain entailments or excuse me, entitlements. So people will, will think, oh, well, we're the first people or we're native peoples or we're acknowledging the constitution and thus, boom, fill in the blank and therefore, boom, fill in the blank. Well, I would say both yes and no. The, the no would be and therefore nothing. And the yes would be yes. You are absolutely entitled to equal rights, equal privileges, equal representation as absolutely everybody else. And my concern is that when you start doling out special treatment for people because of some quirk of chronology that that they were just here beforehand that we would 
use that as an excuse to supersede democratic institutions and to override the traditional structures that that we know work and ensure rights for all people. Nobody should have more rights than anybody else. So I'm I'm concerned I'm concerned about that as you know a, a bracketed statement. And then the second thing is I'm also concerned you democracy doesn't function well when people don't either don't speak freely or feel they can't speak freely. And so if anybody is listening to this, here's what I have to say to you. If you're afraid to speak freely and openly and honestly about this, one of the reasons that you should, it's because your life will be better. It's because the relationships you'll have with people will be more sincere and more genuine because they'll know who you are because they won't have a relationship with the things they think you believe, they'll have a relationship with what you actually believe. And only in that way can you have an authentic and genuine relationship. So that's the second thing I have to say about that. Mm. So I, I think where I'm coming from is purely emotional, and maybe that is a problem. Uh, it's the emotion of, um, and this is what I've always tried to sort of get across, is I love the idea of uh, ingraining Aboriginal culture into, into how people who my ancestors were born in, in Scotland and Ireland and I love the idea that we all have ownership of Australia just as much as anyone else who's born here, regardless of what colour they are, whether their family's from India, uh, Pakistan, wherever. I like the idea, and I really want to push that, where we all buy into it. We buy into the beautiful stories and the culture, the food, the well, maybe not the food, but the all the other things. And I think that's a beautiful... The, the coffee, we, we're, it's all a part of what we are and we can all, you know, we can all talk shit about each other. We can all uh, laugh. We can all joke. And this is a lot of people's fear is that the voice will be a racial divide. Uh, and, and on that, what you said about um, including them in the Constitution uh, based on, you know, set, set, uh, choosing a race to include just them. And then it's all about, like, a, there's, a, there's one section that... that, that, that uh, Puts, I don't know if I say segregates, but puts out, picks out a race and then we're going to talk about that. Uh, or we're going to talk about them in this part of the Constitution. Does it do that about um, Caucasian people? Okay, well, do we need to do that about Caucasian people? Do we then need to go and talk about after World War II how many people from Eastern Europe came over here or, or from Europe in general? Where, where does that end? I, I don't know. I, I think... I think it's a, it's a nice thing to, maybe it doesn't need to be in the Constitution at all, it's a nice thing to really understand the culture and understand what built the land and the stories and because they have, they have important, um, it's much more important than religion and we, we'd learn religion in school. It's much more important to learn about what, you know, how, how Aboriginal people understood um, simply how to move around, be nomadic people, all those types of things. Like that is everyone in this country's history and we should learn about it. We should know about it and we should respect it. Um, yeah, I, I think but, you know, I, I, I agree with you in large measure. I think what you said was sound. My disagreement is I think we need to be careful of the impulse to be nice, especially mm -hmm. when you want to institutionalize niceness in any kind of a policy context. Because where does it end? Yeah, where does it end and why would you want to be nice at all? Like, isn't it more important to be fair or just or forthright in your speech? I mean, there are many values that we could forward before niceness. So I just, I think that it's more, um, and yeah, there is a, a, a remarkable diversity. You know, I don't know if you follow this at all, but uh, Jerry Coyne, the evolutionary biologist who, who wrote 
uh, Why Evolution is True. He's been writing about this. Uh, we, I published a paper a while ago about the importance of merit in science. And um, one thing that I found deeply disturbing, and I think I, I could be totally wrong about this. I think this is where the impulse of nice leads. The impulse of, of nice leads to a misplaced egalitarianism. In other words, a um, affording, I don't want to say, affording dignity to ideas that don't deserve dignity. People deserve dignity. Ideas don't deserve dignity. And the example I'm thinking of is the hot thing right now in, Australia, in New Zealand is Maori ways of knowing. And people yeah. want to include Maori ways of knowing into quantum physics. Okay, no, that's just insane. Yeah. That, there, no, no, that, that, there's just hard stop, no. And so I think that we all have the impulse. It, it's far better, by the way, to have an impulse to be kind than it is to have an impulse to be nice. And I think mm -hmm. that that impulse to be nice leads people to, to believe things that are untethered to reality. Like, oh, maybe the Maori have some kind of contribution to make to quantum physics. No, they have no contribute. They have many contributions in diverse cultures that should be read and studied and looked at with an open mind. And maybe, you know, the, 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 the rituals I've seen, the rituals on the, um, you know, before the football stadiums, holy shit, those things are intense. Yeah, the um, haka, yeah. Yeah, the haka, but that, exactly. But that doesn't mean that that translates into anything objective about the nature of reality. Absolutely. And, and it's and, the same. Sorry. No, no, no. I just, the final thing is me saying that doesn't make me a dick. Right. Me, me saying this doesn't mean I'm hard hearted. It doesn't mean I'm not a nice person. It doesn't mean all it means is I think that there are certain things that we need to rely upon what science yields. Right. We fly planes. We have phones. We have telecommunications. And we can't let our feelings about things influence the way the world is as studied by the best tools of science. And I know that makes me seem, oh, this Bogosian, he's a jerk. But no, it's not about being a jerk. It's just about, it's about saying what's true and thinking through ideas, even if those ideas are at least initially un unpalatable to the people. The, I had a question and I'll, I'll, I'll just quickly finish up on the voice thing. Um, the, at the end of the day, all of this, the money that's being spent on this promotion, like millions and millions of dollars, should be spent on Indigenous people in remote areas. Like these people can't access hospitals, they can't like access healthcare. Like, mate, these people who are there, like there's there's dry communities where they're not allowed to smuggle alcohol in. Like, doesn't that tell you that there's an issue there that they need assistance? Anyway, that's where that's where this money, these millions of dollars, should be spent, not trying to. Um, make a tiny change to the constitution. I was going to ask you a question about... Can, we, uh, can I comment on that sorry. first? Can Please, I, can yes, I comment of course. Okay. So I think that the lens to... The way to look through this, it, the lens to think about this problem is equality of opportunity. So you would need to look at sure. those schools. I would suggest that a far better use of that money would be spent, as the philosopher John Rawls says, giving everybody a public education at the first rate, giving everybody up to, you probably have a very, very good health care. I tell Australians how much I pay for health care. They have a heart attack. You know how much I pay? For? I pay almost $3,000 a month for health care and dental care. What? But, yeah, it's pretty, everybody has a heart attack. So, But you, you'd be better... <sighs> 
Dude, mate, no one paid when you get five health here. That's crazy. Yeah, it's it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. But but I think that the way to look at that problem is to to give everybody the opportunity so that they can succeed independent of how wealthy their parents are, what their ethnic origin is. I think that's the liberal principle that we ought to adhere to, as opposed to kind of jerry rigging on the back end. And any mm. attempt to jerry-rig on the back end, whether it's affirmative action or proportional representation, any of that stuff will not solve the disparities that people are trying to solve. Because you're right, there are disparities. But those disparities are solved by giving everybody a quality of opportunity, and it starts with education and healthcare. And that's the last thing I had to say. But that doesn't win people elections. Perhaps that's the issue that we're facing here. It's all more, more people win an election based on promises rather than action in these, in this circumstance. Yeah. Then that's always the fault of the electorate, right? That That's yeah. the fault of the, the, in democratic systems. That's the fault of the people. So that there's something wrong with the system. Although I have to say in comparison to our system, your system, your system looks pretty good. That, <laughs> it's just less people. It's just less people. That's all it is. I was going to ask you, and I've, I've been talking to my wife a lot about, several different subjects in, in, in around, you know, gender theory, in around um, the V word with certain medicines and that I won't say on YouTube and things like that, this idea that you have to be in a camp. And I wonder, I'm not a religious person. I was an atheist for a long time. I now consider myself sort of agnostic because the universe keeps expanding and there's 100 million uh, different universes out there and fuck, I don't know. Um, no. I'm certainly not, I don't subscribe to any of the, the major religions and, and, and never have. Do you think because of the reduction in people who find themselves or describe themselves as religious, who, who buy into religion and the teachings, do you think yeah. that's why more people are being woke and more people are being far right, more people are being right wing, left wing, and they just, they need something desperately to believe in, to hold and to belong to and without religion, and maybe this is why religion developed to the point where it was, uh, without religion, they are lost and they're desperate to find something else. I can't tell you how happy I am that you asked me that question. I've been thinking about that for quite a while. And I've had, I just uh, came, I, I've been just talked to my uh, podcast guest today about it. I talked to Richard Dawkins about it, interviewed him. I've been obsessed with this question for a long time. So thank you so much for asking it. it it's, it's, Vital. That question, the fact that you even asked that question, it's like the cutting, cutting edge of what is, def I don't want to say defining the culture war, but it's on the cutting edge of the culture war. So that's called the substitution hypothesis. So the substitution hypothesis is this idea that if you ever watch Game of Thrones, you ever watch Game of Thrones? Yeah. Well, this is a jiu-jitsu oh. shirt, but I put, it, I put it on for you. But I do watch Game of Thrones as well. Oh, you do jiu-jitsu too? We should talk about that. Mate, um, I am a white, I'm a white belt with three stripes, and I haven't done it since I had a son. So oh, well, okay. well, we'll, we'll get back to that in a second. So the, the, <laughs> that's very topic of comments. My jiu-jitsu is one of my obsessions. So science fiction is my other obsession. I only have two obsessions. There you go. So a wokeism, of course, a, uh, 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 an obsession, but it's an obsession I want to kill eventually, unlike my other two <laughs> I want to keep nurturing. Um, so so as uh, the the only reason people started believing in the new gods is because they stopped believing in the old gods. So the substitution hypothesis is the idea that belief is the default and we need something to believe in. And is it a necessary condition of 
human experience that they'll just, we, they'll, we will just believe whatever is either the, the current orthodoxy or morally fashionable. Uh, my, my tendency is to think that that's not the case, but I'm not sure of that. When I asked Richard that, Richard Dawkins that, he said, um, if that were true, his whole life would have been a waste. His whole professional life would have been a waste. So what's interesting to me is if you look, the canary in the coal mine was the atheist and the skeptical movements. So within those quote unquote communities, I don't like that word, it's overused. A new religion grew within those communities, those uh, conferences, an absolute obsession with trans issues, an obsession with race and particularly gender, less so race. Um, so I don't know the I don't know the answer to your question. I don't think anybody does. I think it's speculation. I I've asked intellectual historians that if there's a kind of necessity there, for when, when, belief in one orthodoxy falls, if the natural tendency is to just cling to another orthodoxy. So I don't know the answer to the question. You seem to you do seem to find people turn their lives around when they find something to really dig their teeth into, whether whether it's jujitsu or the gym or. Or, or whatever that becomes all they talk about all they think about you know they're dreaming about it at night and maybe even for richard yeah. dawkins if i can if i can think um for him obviously he's a great intellectual but maybe he has bought in like his his ingrained religious um way of thinking or what obviously you'd have to replace that word for people in his position is to follow the lines of of atheism or is to or follow science. the thinking yeah, for no, Dawkins, yeah. a wonder, a wonder in science. You know, so I'm amazed how many people. So I've been doing jujitsu for a very long time through pandemic surgeries, everything. And when I first started, it was a lower class activity. It was a strictly mm. class based. And I've watched it evolve. Now it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Everybody's doing it. A lot of wealthy, affluent, older. Man, I can't even possibly tell you the number of people I meet on a daily basis who have literally a daily basis who have purple belts and jujitsu. My lawyer's yeah. husband, my lawyer's like every everybody. Like I'll just meet somewhere. I'll go to. I was at a my my daughter's softball game. Like three of the guys there had purple belts and jujitsu. All white, all middle class. But it's it's interesting. It's an interesting phenomenon. You got to get back to the gym. I I also I took time, well, I took time off from MMA when my. My son was born and I called my, 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 I was in Hungary in this, I've been in Hungary for four months last year. I did jujitsu. I have this amazing, I go around, every tour I go around the world, I bring my, my gi and I train with people. It's fascinating. It's a fascinating community. But before I go down that deep, deep hole, which I don't want to go down to, because I, if I start talking about science fiction or jujitsu, I can't stop myself. But I have noticed that like in the very beginnings of diets, for example, people tend to be very fanatic and the very beginnings of religion in particular. And so th there is something that people tend to, to grip onto or, or grasp onto. I don't think, and I've seen that even with like at comic cons, you know, like uh, costumes or the Marvel universe or what have you. So what's interesting to me, what I've been thinking about and I'll give you another one uh, that I think, and I, I'm, I hope we don't have to, I'm t I got a little voice in the back of my head saying, don't say this, don't say this, but I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna say it anyway. So, I am fairly convinced at this point, now watch this whole interview, this is the only thing you're gonna get comments about. I am fairly convinced at this point that belief, it's, it's I can't believe how widespread in the US it is in aliens that the government has, uh, 
uh, found alien craft. I think that this is a mass delusion. It's a culture bound syndrome among fairly well educated, fairly affluent people. The number of people who not only believe this, but who ascribe incredibly high levels, high degrees of confidence to this based on nothing but uh, alleged testimony or testimonies of people. Um, and I only mention that because I think it's another example of the phenomenon that we're discussing here. People just have this need. They have the need for community. They have the need to belong. They have the need to believe. And so there is something tried and true and tested about traditional religions, Abrahamic religions. There's something like we're here today, even the most strident atheists, except Hitchens, for example, would we, we have to give some kind of a nod to say that those Judeo-Christian values broadly you know, and, and it's not, of course, there were horrific egregious, uh, you know, uh, horrific, terrible things against gay people and Galileo, et cetera. But yeah, they pretty much got us to the point in civilization where we are now. And now we have a bunch of lunatics running around who are want to destroy the whole system. They want to rip everything down. They want to defund the police. They, they, they want to dismantle and disrupt. They want to make these enterprise zones, chazzes, they... So I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to the question. I, I do think that you're right in that some kind of and Michael Shermer talks about this belief is the default state. And the question is, should, you know, for example, atheists just step out of the way and let people believe more de benign delusions like people walking on water, what have you? Because it, it's it it's clear to me now that this idea that I used to have that I was wrong, I'm, I was wrong that I believe that if we could just take away some superstitions, rationality and reason, and we would like flourish as a society. But that's just not true. Now we have a bunch of people running around thinking men can get pregnant. And it's not a definitional thing, either, or that, you know, men should be in women's sports or, you know, or children should be given puberty blockers or given surgeries or some, you know, uh, to, to quote unquote, change their sex, which is not possible anyway, and they become lifelong medical patients. So I, I, I don't know the answer to your question, I, but I'm past the point of concern and into the realm of worry at this point. Yeah, the, um, the conversation about trans people is something that um, I've made a lot of videos on. Uh, and I always try to take it from a bit of a, a humorous point of view. But I only really get serious when it comes to prescribing children hormone blockers, trying to stop puberty. Uh, you know, as I said, I, I just had a, a, a young son and the the idea of harming him in a way at nine, ten years old, uh, that's going to drastically, drastically affect his life and hurt him just because I am fearful of what other people will say. And, and I've, since having a, a little man, uh, my wife and I, you know, we've, we've heard what, and, and like Instagram communities and, and communities that we've, we've been involved in, people's beliefs uh, about what you should do with a whole range of different things is so strong. And if you fall into the community where, hey, if your little boy think you start, starts playing with dolls and then starts uh, displaying characteristics that you know you would associate with a female or a little girl, then you know he having that option all of a sudden changes the whole conversation because you're no longer just going, oh, he's he's just you know he's a, he, he's he likes doing little things that girls like doing, and that's you know there's no issue with that. Um, that study that happened, I think it was from the late '80s into the '90s, where they went back and had a look at the uh, amount of people who uh, displayed gender dysphoric tendencies, and then looked at them another 10, 15 years later. 
and the vast majority turned out to be to, to no longer have those gender dysphoric uh, tendencies. They just most of them were gay, um, and I, I think that's still true. I mean, we can't there, there can't be this Autistic. line in the sand. Yeah, and autism is another another one which I think is. Um, I've got an autistic brother, so it's it's a it's a funny one for me because I I really do feel the autism spectrum, there has to be other words for autism because my brother can't look after himself, he can't talk, uh, he's you know in his mid-20s and he's only just really started feeding himself. Um, and then there's people who are, you know, uh, you know who have Asperger's or, or they've been diagnosed autism by their um, by one of their mates at the pub or whatever. Uh, well, they probably wouldn't be at the pub, far too loud. Uh, but I think this whole conversation about trans uh, people, like... And they're valid, 100%, still valid, but you can still disagree with giving kids hormone blockers, even if you think their lives are still valid. I I think that parents are being almost bullied into doing these things, which is only going to then uh, affect that generation. And then will they do the same or will they turn back against the previous generation? I guess that's sort of what we'll have to wait and see. Well, that gets back to your earlier point is that we have to be able to have conversations about this and we have to be able to have conversations without recrimination or fear that, oh boy, we're on, I don't know, I'm told constantly I'm on the wrong side of history. There's something mm-hmm. particularly sinister and dastardly about doing that to children. There's there's just something that's, I had an interview with Helen Joyce and I was, this was like a huge learning moment for me. I can't believe I didn't didn't think of this before, but I was always operating under the assumption that 0.06% of people were trans. In other words, in, it's like a human non-fluctuation. It's just like this built-in thing. Even though I had no, well, I had evidence. I, I read that repeatedly from people I trusted. And there's no way to test that. We, you know, now we go to the quote-unquote lived experience of, of people, but with kids that that changes all the time and as you said the percentage had a conversation with andrew doyle percentage of people who are gay is basically sterilizing gay kids who are largely autistic but helen joyce told me she wrote the book trans she's a irish she lives in england um author she told me that no no the the number isn't 0.06 percent the number is zero it's all a contagion so i used to believe that anything above 0.06 was a contagion like people just thought it was a good idea. Like my daughter's friends have told me that people pretend at her school to be trans so they'll fit in, right? So anything yeah. above 106, so there are entire counties, uh, entire departments in, in some place in California, I can f- try to find the study if you want, that uh, up to 20% of people self-described as uh, trans. And, and, and the, if you look at Brown University, the percentage of people self-describing as gay, is a gay or bisexual is well well over half. Uh, so I used to think that's a contagion, but she said, no, the whole thing is a culture bound syndrome. Like all of it, the whole thing is just, there, there's there's no there there. And and it was remarkable to me that I never considered that before. I'm trying to remember the lady's name who wrote the, uh, there's, a, there's a young girl on the front of the cover, a cartoon version about uh, transgender ideology affecting young women. Uh, she was on my podcast, too. I can't remember her name off the top of my head. But a very interesting book and talks about uh, a wide range of topics to do with this. But the one that really stuck out for me was the complete flip of how this affects people. Or, I'm sorry, what gender this affects. Uh, for the longest time, it was middle-aged men. And now all of a sudden, it's young women. 
Correct. Yeah, correct. And, and so not that- only young, young women. Yeah, but um, uh, Katie Herzog told me years ago. She told an audience. I was in in the audience. She said that um, she's a lesbian. She lives in Seattle. There are no her her femme lesbian friends are complaining that there are no butch or masculine lesbians anymore. They've all transitioned over. Right. And I just I just found that fascinating. Like, wow, it's yeah. it's that common now. Oh, and my my roommate is a lesbian, and she was sending me pictures of trans women in other words men pretending to be women on the apps that's the other thing we don't speak honestly about you know like every time i used to have to translate trans men or trans women i used to translate the trans as just fake and just to be clear this has to be said in every one of these conversations i'm sick of it but i believe these people are entitled to every right to pursue the lives they want to lead to do anything that they want entitled to equal opportunity they shouldn't be discriminated against I got, I'm just, I got it. I got it. Yeah. I've said no, that. Please, con- please continue with your violent speech. Yeah. <laughs> so we, but seriously, we do have to be careful though, because YouTube censored the um, yeah. Peterson conversation with Helen Joyce. YouTube has censored many conversations. And so, uh, you know, that's the, other, so not only can we not speak, you can't speak honestly in the university, but you can't even have an honest conversation on YouTube because you could be censored. So you, you have the, the tech, you have an, kind of a structure in place to prevent anyone who dissents from the orthodoxy from speaking honestly. It's a huge, yeah, it's I, a huge I, problem. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the uh, new misinformation and disinformation laws that are uh, coming into Australia here. They're, they're confronting and, you know, that's a whole nother com- conversation. But basically it's, it's only going to get worse. Uh, YouTube, um, Google, they will just... They will just go, okay, whatever. I don't want to pay a fine. This is ridiculous. This has happened in Australia before. Um, you know, they don't want to deal with this shit. They've got way too much cash coming in. They don't want to deal with us, you know, bloody down under people whinging and complaining about what we're talking about. So they'll just cut it. They'll just go, fuck off. Um, and that's just so, to then everyone, to then, only the conversations we're allowed to hear are the ones that are allowed in universities, which are all uh, far left-leaning, which are all running along this woke ideology, which I hate the term woke. I, I just I think it was great at the start, but now everyone sort of switches off when when someone uses it. When you say, oh, that person, you know, they're so woke or whatever, people go, oh, yeah, you must love Trump. You know, you're a right-wing hate gay people, all that type of stuff. I'm always surprised by all of these conversations and the young people too. I, I had this uh, young uh, woman on my podcast um, a few years ago. She now has basically, even though she knows what type of person I am, my wife is and the family we are, has cut all ties because she was copying too much shit from other people. She's a large social media influencer and, and she said that um, I made a video about trans people being pregnant or trans men being pregnant and I said that's not a thing, uh, that's a woman. Um, that's the general consensus of the video and she got quite angry at me and said the science is changing and it is that quote that I have it just always sticks with me that you can be so dishonest with yourself or not have the ability to think clearly that you would suggest to someone that science is changing to the point where men can have babies but that's just madness it's just absolute madness but this is the lives that people are living in and the same thing is being seen on tiktok i i don't have a tiktok presence because i keep getting taken down 
Anytime I criticize anyone to do with anything in, in woke ideologies, I get taken down. I had like, I think I had 600,000 followers, got it taken down. Then I got to 100, taken down. Now I'm at 70. I got, I've had three strikes. <laughs> so it's all fucked. But yeah, we that have, is- We have yeah. two striked on, on TikTok. And, and so that's the kind of ethical thing when you're a content creator that you have to think about. Well, if we put out the content that we want, people to hear about and the content that i th i believe we got a strike for i'm really happy you said that because i've been thinking about that the content we got a strike for was somebody else saying that that uh some of the problems with kids transitioning uh specifically you you really do become a lifelong medical patient like like it's mm -hmm. a very serious problem we got taken down for that so if you put out mediocre content then you're being inauthentic but then you're not reaching people at all so it's a problem yeah. when you're a content creator, but it, it does speak to the fact that big tech, I don't want to say is in on it because it sounds like a conspiracy, but big tech, all of this stuff comes from the universities. It's all from the universities. It's all uh, fringe departments have, uh, have spread their, their poison as metastasized throughout and they're capable of and then those people who are indoctrinated, they go into administrative and leadership positions. So the missions of those universities, uh, the missions of those institutions like the ACLU, and, and you don't have that over there, American Civil Liberties Union or the SPLC, Southern Poverty Law Center, they say the same, but the people who discharge the missions, they change. They fundamentally change because they've been subject to woke ideology. And part of the thing is when you've been indoctrinated into woke ideology, you buy design do not know the other side of the issue like you've never even heard arguments to the contrary so you're a really good foot soldier right you're 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 a foot soldier so the the, the problem is now that we're we're largely losing the culture war although i think the tide is turning we're losing the culture war in terms of total institutional they don't have the supreme court and they by and large don't have the police departments but the the woke ideology has pretty much taken over every institution in american society corporations. And what's super interesting is it's even overridden, which you wouldn't think would happen in a capitalist system. It's even overridden financial concerns, mm -hmm. for example, making movies, right? They're more concerned about this is how you know you're in trouble. When the, the, the primary mission of, of a corporation is to make a, 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 a you know, a for-profit corporation is to make money. Uh, you know, Friedman has this thing, social responsibility of business is to discharge, is, is to increase its profits. But you know you're in trouble when it's switched from that to promoting these trans messages or these gender messages or these incredibly divisive racial messages. So how do you fight that? I mean, it's a huge problem. And again, I'm, I, my, I, I am quite confident that you're about a year, a little more than a year behind in Australia. And then this shit is really going to hit the fan. Which worries me as a comedian. I, I always try and talk about subjects that are, that are not kosher. And I always like pressing the taboo um, angle on jokes. And for me, this whole thing that's happening with the Human Rights Commission in Australia, that one lady can complain and that compels me to change the way I speak. Like, where does that end? Because it doesn't, because it's, the, 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 what's protected is, okay, race, religion, uh, gender, and it goes on. But why, why, why would you not be able to complain about an Islamic comedian making jokes about, Christianity, you know, what did, what precedent does this set? 
And I had a lot of feedback. Not one major news um, uh, news source or media source ran this story, which I thought was absolutely mad. But they, a few other, you know, uh, online publications did. And people couldn't believe, like I was getting messages from everywhere, people couldn't believe that I was literally being brought to another state to, and what this lady wanted, she wanted me to receive training and apologize. And so training in what? I'm telling jokes. These aren't real. I don't believe these things. This is pretend. So that's, that's where we're at. And as you said, a year and a year and a half, uh, we'll be there. Well, we're in certain portions of the country. We're there. Yeah. I'd I'd like to answer the question that, that you asked, because I think it's so incredibly important. Where does it end? I'll tell you where it ends. It's not just that they want to control your speech or that they want an apology. Yes, they certainly want those things, but that's not what they're after. They're after your cognitive liberty. They're after your freedom and ability to think. They want you to think like they do. They are ideologues who are absolutely convinced they have the right answers to moral questions. And any people who disagree with them, it's not that they're just wrong. It's either that they're bad people or that they're existential threats. So that's what they're looking for from you. They want to rob you of your cognitive liberty. And just to be clear about this, you, you know, almost everybody who is subject to this or, or is somewhat themselves on the left, like they're, they're, they're like Tucker Carlson, for example, is pre cancelable. Like he can't be canceled. James Lindsay is no longer cancelable. Like you can't do this to people on the right. Dawkins, I've never voted for Republican in my life. Literally never. I endorsed Andrew Yang last, uh, last election. I've never even voted for a Republican. I don't think I voted for a Republican at a local level, but yet I'm constantly called right winger. I'm constantly called a Nazi and a fascist and a bigot and a homophobe. Uh, and if we were off here, I would tell you some things that would you'd be like, okay, this dude is not a homophobe. But so, so, so the idea that's so, uh, well, I'll just tell you since I threw that out. So I have two kids and they're both gay. So the idea that I am some kind of a homophobe is completely insane. But again, the fact that we give these people any credence at all is the problem. The fact that we even, and this is where, what I want to say to your listeners in Australia, me being in in America and in Portland ahead of the curve, you simply cannot listen to these people. If you look, think about it like this. If, if, if you, I don't know how to fly a plane, right? So if you wouldn't accept my advice on how to fly a plane, why would you accept my criticism? Why, why would you, but there is one problem. The problem is that everybody needs a kind of corrective to the stuff that they think, right? Everybody needs, well, well, what about this? Or have you thought about this? Or let me play devil's advocate about this. The problem is that there's just so much static that the signal to noise ratio isn't correct. You have, I don't even know how many people with their fake accounts and they're not playing by the rules of engagement. They have multiple. I have like, I don't even know how many people it is who just constantly go on my channel or go wherever and harass me or I mean it's just you just cannot listen to these people but yet we do need some kind of correctives so I I would suggest it's not optimal um, getting correctives from people you respect who are your friends as opposed to people the, uh, the idea would be to find people with whom you disagree 
agree and ask them why and then you know have them in your friend circle but that's almost not possible because the ideology will seek to maintain itself it has the woke ideology is particularly dangerous because it has like these built-in features to prevent anything that that would possibly dislodge the ideology i'm telling you this is a serious people don't understand how serious of a threat this is and that's where the i think the connection to religion comes in because these people treat it like a religion it's doctrine it's not oh maybe there's a different way to look at it no no this is what is written this is what i've learned therefore it is absolute truth um you know i i think more people who are classified as right-wing but probably sit somewhere in the middle are so much more open to different ideas like obviously the further you go right probably not but the further you go left definitely not like they just will not accept an outside point of view and they'll use those terms racist sexist homophobic etc um and the fact that, that is the fact that you say that does not make you a right-wing person Right. The fact that you just said that to me, people say, oh, this guy's on the right. Fuck this guy. No, you're pointing out just because some a feature of derangement is found on the left or on the right. It doesn't mean that it has to be found in equal measure on the other side. The, the same goes for people like Joe Rogan. Like he gets labeled as I've, and I've made a video on this exact subject. And I went through and list all the things he said that puts him squarely, well, left ish. You know, yeah. like all of the, there's so many things that make him leftish. And yet, if he dares questions certain mandates put out by the government about a medical thing that I won't mention, if he dares says any, say, say anything about trans people, if he dares talks about, oh, well, you know what, you know, Trump, I like Trump about this, but I don't like this. Like, even entertaining these ideas, talking right. to people like, um, Anyone in the? I, I'm, I'm trying to skip it. around saying anyone's anyone's name. Don't say it, um, that'll, yeah. that, <laughs> because that'll just yeah. Um, but, but it's a shame you just have to by, do that. Yeah. Oh, it's it's madness. Like I have been putting out uh, videos on my channel that are censored, and I put out like the full version on Patreon until it gets until that eventually gets taken down too. But that's just crazy. Like that, I have to censor certain words because that, that are, we aren't allowed to talk about that because it's not the correct directive given to us by the powers that be. Madness, and as you said, it continually—it's a slippery slope. It keeps getting worse until the point where uh, all the people in government have gone through the universities, and then this uh, this woke ideology is not only uh, a popular thing; it is law, uh, and that is that is, I guess, everyone's fear. Yeah. So, you know what they did to you. So they, so they wanted you to receive some kind of training and they wanted you to apologize. Well, well, first of all, so you may be in a unique position that you can ask them questions and that they'll have to respond. That, that would be wonderful. Cause the first question I would ask is, is this belief falsifiable? Is there a way to show that this belief could be proven to be false? You know, what is it that differentiates this from a religion? I would love to ask this, this person questions. The, the problem is that at some point, you know what's going to happen, right? You know what's going to happen, and, and that's just going to be, uh, oh, that's what every fascist would say, or, you know, they'll just go back to the talking points. Because the worst evil, if you will, to import a word from religion, is this idea of bigotry or what have you. And to, if they're seen, if she's seen as being soft on you, then 
her tribe will take that out on her. So it's another kind of communal mechanism to enforce the derangement syndrome. Yeah, it's, and it's, you know, it's worrying because now I go into my next tour next year and I'm writing for it now and I think of something that's fucked up and I go, geez, you know, I've got a baby now. Do I really want to do all this? I've, I've, there's so many venues in this country that I've been banned from Canberra University, Wollongong University, all these like places are just like, no, this fascist cannot come here. He's, right. he made a joke about Jewish people four years ago. And, and I look at that and I go, mate, I'm from Newcastle. I don't know any Jewish people. I don't understand why anyone doesn't like Jewish people. Why? I, I still don't get it. Um, so it's a whole thing, mate. And, and it's, yeah, and yeah. I know you, uh, a very, like, it just doesn't end. Like the further you go down this rabbit hole, and that's why I'm, I'm very lucky that I can switch off from doing, you know, what I what I consider work as YouTube videos and whatnot. I'm very lucky I can switch off because without that, I would be obsessed with this shit, and it would I'd be fighting with people on Twitter, and you can't change people's minds, and I don't want to. If you want to watch yeah, the videos, if you want to listen to the podcast, fantastic. If not, fuck off. Yeah, that, that, that's pretty much all I do. That, that's literally my day job is to promote free speech and open inquiry and fight wokeism. You know, Mike Nana, I don't know if you know Mike, he has a wonderful his, uh, his YouTube channels, Mike Nana, N-A-Y-N-A. He wrote, uh, he did the documentary, The Reformers, which was about when we published the, the fake papers. He has had a tremendous, like listening to him, and I don't know if you know Rob Schneider, he's a good friend of mine, like uh, the American actor, and then listening to him, but it's terrible in comedy. And I hear this from my friends who are comedians. Brian Callum was telling me this, I don't know if you know who he is, but walking yeah. down the street with, with Brian is a trip. Like you can't even get, you literally can't even get a block. All these people mob you. Um, it's really interesting to listen to them speak about what comedy has become. And I, 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 I hate to say, I, I get no joy in saying this to you. And I, and, and I, you know, particularly because this is not in the United States and I'd much rather be the guy who doesn't say this, but I am not, I am not particularly bullish on the United States. I'm not particularly just what has happened to this country recently is just so utterly heartbreaking and even if I see that we've had a watershed moment or we're starting to, I don't know, heal might not be the right word. We're starting to come to our senses. I still see the damage this has done to our institutions. And I still see these lunatics who are in control of, of the academies and in control of what, what were once vulnerable institutions and legacy media. You know, the New York Times is basically, mm. I don't know. I'm just not, I'm, 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 uh, I'm saddened, man. I'm actually heartbroken by the whole thing. I think I think a lot of these, as you say, institutions, they're they're, they're broken beyond repair. It's almost like we need to, you know, not start maybe start new universities and this type of stuff where you're allowed, like it's written into that university's or college's constitution that hey, we encourage free speech here, we encourage 100%. that type of thing. Like so that's the only way to rebuild from this point. Right. So I'd like to talk about that if that's okay. So there are. Two, two strains of thought on how to fight this. One is what I'm doing. So I'm a founding faculty member at the University of Austin. University of Austin is in Texas. We just did the Forbidden Courses program. And the idea is it's a new institution that's founded on truth, free speech, open dialogue, 
the admissions to the university are not based in race. It's pure meritocracy. And hey, to be very blunt with you, maybe the entire class will be Asian and Ashkenazi Jew. I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know who's going to be. And if you look at the data on uh, test scores, they're fascinating. I had a really interesting talk with Heather McDonald from the Manhattan Institute about standardized test scores. I don't think you have SATs or GREs over there, but it's, um, it's fascinating. It's correlated. The ultimate correlation is a, I don't want to go too far down, but this interesting point uh, with uh, income and then it, the chart is broken down into, into various aspects of, of the, uh, not, not racially, but, but by country. Okay, so so bracket that for a second. So you have one vein of thought that's just the way that you combat wokeism in institutions is that you build new institutions. So like Ralston College would be another one. So that, those are new new academic institutions. Then you have to fight the legacy media like the New York Times and MSNBC and certainly NPR. You don't have NPR. ABC would be the analog. Um, you need something like a substack, which actually two Australians are... Uh, two of my bones, uh, uh, the Rathbones are in uh, California with Substack. So, so you have that. You have building uh, alternative parallel media structures that people can go to. That's one way. The other thought is that you can reform traditional institutions. I don't think that's going to work. Uh, Chris Rufo, Ron DeSantis, who's running for president in, in Florida, he lives in, the, he's the governor of Florida. Uh, looks like he's around number two right after Trump, which is Trump-Biden running off would be a catastrophe. But so Chris Rufo is a buddy of mine who's working with DeSantis to uh, kick the the DEI bureaucrats out because you have a choice. You have free speech or you have the DEI bureaucrats. I like Chris. Chris is a friend of mine. I hope Chris succeeds. I don't know if Chris is going to succeed, but I am certainly not going to wait for Chris to succeed. So if you want to get out of the woke cesspool, if, if you want to avoid wholesale institutional capture, which is what we already have, ideological capture of, for example, universities, which are the engines of knowledge production, because I'm telling you, China does not, does not have this problem. China is not woke. Then you're either going to have to kick these lunatics out or you're going to have to build new institutions. And as far as I can see, there's no middle ground. That's it. Mm. No, I agree. I agree. There is no, there can't be. They can't they be can't, a They can't be reasoned with because they don't agree with the principles of reason. They don't agree with dialogue, discourse, because they think that all those are white masculine concepts. They, they want everything decolonized. They don't play by the rules of engagement. I mean, so, you know, someone says, well, you know, that's fascistic or whatever. Well, look, if we had a bunch of people pushing Nazi race science, would you let them control the institution? No, of course you wouldn't let them control the institutions. So... Uh, I am very, very, very simple. I'm beyond sympathetic to what Chris is doing. I just don't know if it's going to work long term. Peter, thank you very much for your time, brother. I appreciate it. Uh, it's been a fascinating conversation. Um, mate, it's, it's, it's one of these things where everyone just sits here and just goes, and I, I, they just go, shit, like, what do you, what do, you do? But uh, I think we've had an insight in what people can do. And I think the number one takeaway is just don't listen to it. And I think a lot of people, most people, and this is the problem, I guess, we are preaching to the choir, the people who are watching this going, yeah, absolutely, completely agree. Hopefully well, it gets out it. to a few people. I'm going to up it. I'm going to up it. I'm going to tell you exactly what you can do. If you're already agreeing, I'm going to tell you what you can do. You can speak openly and honestly, and you can be forthright in your speech. 
The Greeks have a word for this. It's called parhesia, speaking truth in the face of danger. So you can speak against the orthodoxy and do not, not cringe or do not worry about people getting upset with you. Here's what you need to know. These people already hate you. They already hate you. They either hate you for an immutable characteristic which you possess, the color of your skin, et cetera, and they're going to hate you extra if you're gay or black or indigenous. So don't worry about these people's feelings. They are hostage to an invasive, you mentioned Gadsad, my buddy Gadsad, an ideology which has a, a, a parasitic parasitized them. So you can speak openly and honestly, and you could be forthright, and you can be very blunt with people, whether that's the trans issue and it doesn't matter what the issue is. And you can remember that it's not about whether this policy goes forward or this policy goes forward. It's about the fact that I'm an atheist. I believe that you, people have the right to believe anything they want. You want to believe a guy walked on water, flew to heaven on a winged horse. That's, I, I don't believe any of those things. I think they're total nonsense. But if someone wants to believe that, they have the right to believe that. And we have to stick up for their right to believe things that we don't believe. But the deeper thing is you, you don't need any moral conviction to speak openly and honestly. All you need is the willingness to change your mind because that's the one thing that woke people do not have. They do not have a disposition or a willingness to be honest and change their mind, particularly in a public context. So if you're willing to change your mind, change your opinion, revise your belief, it's all the more important that you speak openly and honestly. And if enough people do that, we can change it. And yes, you will lose friends, but I will suggest to you, those people were not your friends to begin with. They were not your friends. The quality of the engagements you have when you start speaking openly and honestly with people will skyrocket. So mm -hmm. if you're already a believer, that's what I have to say to you. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find all of Peter's stuff all over the internet, but I encourage you to check out his YouTube channel, um, the conversations you have out in public are fantastic and this oh, is exactly you. what we're talking about. So go and check out. All the links will be below. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add to the end? Anywhere people can find you? Anything else you're doing I'm at the on, moment? I'm on Twitter at Peter Bogosian, P-E-T-E-R-B-O-G-H-O-S-S-I-N. The YouTube, I have a sub stack. I'm, yeah, I'm fighting You're i'm right. fighting a culture war yeah and i appreciate your support having a conversation with me and talking and you know even though things are i don't want to sugarcoat it even though things are grim it doesn't mean that things are going to stay grim or remain grim the pendulum will swing the other way we just have to make sure that when it swings the other way we don't do to people what they did to us we don't have like mass cancellations you know we need kind of a truth and reconciliation here like we're not the the idea is not to look at people as enemies because they have different beliefs than us. The idea is to reinstate reason and rationality and democratic processes and open open inquiry and free speech. And I think it's important to keep that in the forward of your mind. So anyway, I appreciate your having me on and I appreciate the conversation. So thank you. Thank you, brother. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.